0: we go it's monday night time for ira on sports true oldies channel i'm mike balsamo and we have got a packed show for you tonight so we got to get right into it ira start it off like we always do where have you been
1: I was at the most amazing basketball game last week where Jimmy G- Butler scored 56 points, one of the highest scoring games in the history of the NBA. What a performance. And boy, the
0: heat. You're talking about the heat on a heater. The last three games have been tremendous. One of the biggest upsets of all time as, as an eight knocks off the one seed. Another huge upset too. We're going to talk some hockey in a minute. But NFL drafts in the books. We talked last week about how this time of the year is underrated. NHL playoffs, NBA playoffs, NFL draft—we're packed right now. Walter, football is going to join us again. It's great. We had him on two weeks ago, previewing the draft. Now we're just going to talk about what happened at the draft and break down who who were big winners, who were big losers. It'll be interesting. To see. We're also going to bring on uh, Patrick Dineen from UMass Amherst hockey. People may not know the name UMass Amherst. They're a factory for the NHL. Brandon Montour, star of the Florida Panthers, he's a grad. Uh, Kale McCarr, best young defenseman in the league, he's a grad as well. We'll talk to him. Wrap up all the uh, NHL playoff first rounds. And then Gary Stevens. Just going to stop by, good friend of the show, three-time Kentucky Derby champ.
1: Three-time Kentucky Derby champion, nine-times Triple Crown Trap, which won three times at the Preakness and the Belmont. So excited to have him give his insight in terms of the Kentucky Derby, which is coming up this weekend. So much happening. This, I mean, We have the, the playoffs, we have the Kentucky Derby, we have Formula One in Miami.
0: I just love it. The draft just happened. we got a lot to talk about. Let's hop right into it. Of course, you can follow Ira anywhere on social media, at Ira on Sports. Heat and Bucks, Ira. And this is one, you know, the heat to me, kind of stumbled into this playoffs. It was an ugly road for them last month of the season in the play-in, and here they are beating the best team in the league.
1: They And after losing to Atlanta, and then they play Chicago, and they're down five with a few minutes to go in the game, and you think their entire season's over. They're not even going to get the A-C. They're going to be out of the, the play-in and to come now, be in a situation they're in now. That game, they're up uh, 2-1, uh, In and Giannis is coming back into Miami, who are there on Wednesday night, Monday night, And uh, it was, the box were favored by seven and a half. It was the highest... The biggest underdog Miami's been at home since 2019 before the pandemic against Golden State. Right? Crazy. It's crazy. And the game started out. It was just, it should have been, I felt like the Bucks should have been up like 20, 30 points. The only thing keeping them in was Jimmy Butler scoring first quarter. He scored 22 points. And you when you have Giannis in there with Lopez, the size was, was just tremendous. Lopez went up with 36 points and 11 boards. That's what, and, and Giannis had 26 points, 10 boards. But then at the end of the third, they're up by 11. The Heat fans are leaving the arena. They're like, oh, it's been great. We made it. You know, we'll go down. You know, it'll be 2-2 in the series, whatever. Six minutes of the game. It's still 12 points. And suddenly the Heat go on a 30-13 run. Miami shot 8 for 9. The Bucks were 4 for 13. Jimmy Butler makes a 20-foot shot. <laughs> then he rebounded, make another shot. Then they scored another one to cut it to five. And then at that point, you think, oh, it's still, it's still you know, five points. But then Caleb Martin hits a big free throw, a shot from the outside, and then Butler gets a dunk, and when he dunked and hung him on the rim. Now, if that was in high school or college, they're going to call technicals left and right, and the fans are going nuts the first time. They scored 13 straight points before Mike Budenholzer called a timeout. How Crazy. in the world can you let that? You saw the energy. Like, just call the timeout fast. Stop the energy. The arena was just—people were ready to leave. They're screaming. It's the loudest I think of. The arena's been all year. They're going nuts, and Budenholzer just lets this lead just evaporate. And the point is that Giannis comes across on the last time when Butler stole the ball— it looked like he was like dribbling past the midcourt line and almost like, was like, should I call a timeout? then turn the ball over and that was it. And then the Heat, even after that, have they finally called a, called a timeout, uh, they scored. Butler had two free throws and he makes a three-pointer. Giannis misses a shot and then Butler hits another basket and as he made the basket, he's running the fans like, this is my house, this is my house, running around the court. Just total implosion by the Bucks, and in a game that they should have, now they're down, put themselves in a 3-1 bind. He had 21 points in the first quarter 21 points in the fourth quarter just a tremendous victory for the for the heat and one of the most exciting i mean i, I went with one of my friends and we're sitting there was like i can't remember being in a basketball game where that last six minutes was just it was unbelievable and the bucks who are this great championship team just fell completely
0: apart one of the greatest south florida sports performances of all time uh jimmy butler had in that game of course ira was there follow him at ira on sports so let's go to game five now and You know, we're going back to Milwaukee. Surely, we're going to write the ship here wasn't the case. And you talked about, you know, exciting last six minutes. We had a good finale to this one.
1: Again, this, I I said, I've never seen a team collapse more than the Bucks did in that game. I can't remember a team. I can see teams that don't have experience, whatever, but not an experienced team collapse like that. Then I saw two nights later watching television. You know, it's 60, 69, 63 at halftime. Then the Bucks go on a 22 to five run. Start of the fourth quarter, they were up 16 points. <laughs> and then the, the Heat don't just start the score. They don't score for the 10 minutes left. They cut it to 14 and and they're still up, like, at one point, the Bucs were taking just bad shots. At, Listen, this game was crazy. Giannis is, feels like he's seven feet tall. Lopez feels like he's seven feet tall. Just throw it to each other. The Heat cannot guard inside at all. And all the Bucks were doing was taking shots. Giannis is shooting him. 30-foot shots, 25-foot shots. Pat Connon's firing up shots. Like, just get the ball inside. Foul uh, Bam Adebayo out. They put a Cody Zeller in the game. Like, this is ridiculous. And I could not believe how it was happening. But, the, you know, they're still up eight with three minutes to go in the game. West Matthews hits a three and you know at that point you think wow it's over but then Butler Jim Butler scores a eight straight points to tie in 111 <laughs> and 111 but then the Bucks score and makes it 117 how about this 117 113 with 14 seconds to go after Holiday makes a free throw but he missed one so that, that hurt them gave Vincent oh no, actually he made that was the 117 one three. gave Vincent hits a three and then what happens is that they had a foul they inbound the ball they can't even inbound the ball right jump ball they get it Holiday makes one or two so they're up two with two seconds would have seconds to go
0: and then they don't, put, they don't put Lopez in the game as the best most contested shots in the league this year by a long margin.
1: They don't put Lopez in the game they don't have Giannis guarding Butler who everyone knows the ball is going to go to Butler <laughs> and Giannis honest and Butler just pushes off on it underneath the basket so he can lay up. I remember against the Boston series when he had a last second shot to tie the game he was coming from you know, shooting a three coming down the court and he just ties it up and lays it up and scores absolutely now there's a like half a second to go which you know but you can still call time on the NBA and advance the ball and still get. A good shot they don't even call a timeout like again the bucks just another Epic collapse! This is the unbelievable. And then the Heat end up winning it, you know, in uh, in, uh, in overtime. You knew the Heat were going to win after that it, finale. It was this, I mean, the Bucks were fifty-one and three after leading three quarters of a go season. Fifty-one and three. Let alone up sixteen, <laughs> and they blow it. They were outscored seventy-three forty-one in the fourth quarter in both fourth quarters. And you just question everything about the Bucks. No, Jay, Jay. They traded for Jay Crowder, a bunch of picks in the middle of the year who played on their team. Was you know, Jay Crowder from the Heat? He comes. He's like he wasn't used at he all. He played less than a minute. It, 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 it was just. The Budenholzer and I have to give Budenholzer. It seems like that is that his brother was in a car accident during the playoffs and whatever, but and I feel horrendous for that, but the coaching on this team, and there was criticism before he won the title, but it just inexplainable. They were so much better than he, remember, he don't have Ado, uh, uh, Oladipo, they don't have Tyler Ewer, the second best scorer, they are, they're so undersized, and it's just, and they, were, they blew a 12-point favorite, and then, I guess the common, you know, Giannis gets a little lucky with this, because I love Giannis. Giannis had, the win over the Suns is great, I love a state of Milwaukee, he has a great personality, he's phenomenal. He's great for the game. He's great, but the comment when some reporter asked him, would you consider this a failure and he goes season a failure he goes there's good days no he said that's a terrible question how do you ask me that you asked me that the year before there's good days there's bad days some days you're able to be successful some days you're not some days it's your turn some days it's not your turn that's what sports is about you don't always win some other people are going to win and this year somebody else is going to win now, that is like what Oklahoma City might say. And of course, that's a great attitude if you're high school, junior high school, biddy league or whatever. But you are the number one seed. You aren't supposed to win. It is a failure. They, that's the point. It's like, I don't, you know, and he pointed, he goes, Michael Jordan played 15 years, only won six titles. Did he, was it a failure the other nine years? Well, Michael Jordan would say yeah, he's a failure. Yeah, he, he would. It's a failure to
0: Michael Jordan to not win a championship.
1: Would Kobe Bryant say it was a failure? Yes. I mean, you ask Tom Brady about the year that they went undefeated, beat every team. By a million points. They get to the Super Bowl. They lose in the Super Bowl to the Giants on the last play. Tom Coughlin talk had a whole book about the, yeah. how they won the game. And he doesn't say that's a successful season. That was a failure. Steph Curry, ask him about when they had the best record in the history of the NBA. They lose in game seven of the finals to LeBron James. That's a failure. I just think that then the media, then Mark Cuban comes out and says, Oh, where people are attacking. He DMs Giannis or sends an instant message, which is tampering. You know, it's like your husband's been owner talking directly to a player, so that aspect of it. But the point is from Giannis again and then everyone said oh this is so great it's so refreshing but it's it's like okay Giannis you shot one for nine in the fourth quarter you made 10 for 23 foul shots your foul shooting was horrendous this year you should say look I wouldn't consider the season a failure but we certainly meet the expectations I have to get better nothing like that like I just feel like that was and if you you know now if Budenholzer loses his job and these other players all the assistants lose their jobs and they go home and they tell their wives and you know like we're gonna move and their kids it's like well don't worry season one's a failure I just got fired but that's okay because there's good days and bad days it's not <laughs> what it is it's expectations and not you know you have 30 dreams of football and you know teams win and lose and you know Houston the Texans this year no one's gonna say it's a failure if they win the Super Bowl but yeah if you're the favorite to win this if you're Kansas City and don't win the Super Bowl it's a failure like you come in with expectations and I
0: just that's why I disagree with what Giannis said this is Ira on Sports True these channel Mike Balsamo follow Ira on social media I love when you have a, a rant oh like I am that. so honest I've been I, saying this it. for
1: a whole week <laughs> I just <laughs> I, and he gets so much credit. I mean, like it's like it's the greatest thing. It's like so refreshing. We need more of this in sports. No, you know, people aren't are counting on you. You're the leader of the team, and you need to take it. You need to say, "I'm going to get better," because that's what Kobe and I mean. Again, the great. Unless you just, I think you really have to. And at the end of the day, Budenholzer is probably going to lose his job. I don't know it, it, if he is. I think it's to be very close, but if he doesn't win it next year, he will. But again, that's that's because of expectations, and that's the difference. Yeah. It,
0: it, is it a failure if you lose your job? I mean, that's yeah, <laughs> it's it not, it's not a good thing. At Ira on Sports, still to come, Walter dot WalterFootball.com, Patrick Dineen from U.S. Amherst Hockey, Gary Stevens, three-time Kentucky Derby champion on the way. And Ira, I don't know what it's going to take for my New York Knicks to get a little bit of credit from you. It's not happening uh, after last night. We'll talk about that. But going back to Cleveland, you thought Cleveland was going to run the Knicks out of town. But, man, that Knicks team showed up.
1: Well, a couple really important things about the series, the fact that they go to Game 5 in Cleveland. Everyone's thinking, well, okay, well, they'll lose that, though. They'll, they'll go Game 6. I mean, they walked into Cleveland. They won. They out-rebounded Cleveland 48-30. Cleveland has this great front line of Mobley and Allen. I gotta criticize JB Bickerstaff. This team was not prepared for this. I was shocked. I'm telling you, I, my, it was just unbelievable how well. Like I don't think New York played that great. Cleveland just played awful. Donovan Mitchell did not show up. Had one of the worst series you could imagine. It was 11 for 26 in this game, shooting terribly. And uh, it was a you know big win for the Knicks to come in there. And I'll tell you what, from the Cavaliers, they got rid of Kevin Love. And you see what Kevin Love, how well he plays for the Heat. You don't think that they could have used Kevin Love? Do you think they could have just a Kevin, little bit, just a little bit on that team? And they just Discarded him like nothing. They said, you've been here, you're part of a championship, we don't need you, we have this. Well, Cavaliers, I think you need a Kevin Love.
0: <laughs> 76ers and Nets, and this one, nobody anticipated this one being very close, but the 76ers did their job.
1: They, they won the series 4-0. It was over. They've been resting a whole week, but we still hear that Embiid's still not yep. healthy for it, and that's why we're going to go to the next series and we'll talk about that.
0: Yeah, Boston and Atlanta, and this was one, Atlanta gave them a little bit of pushback. Everyone thought that Boston was just going to blow the doors off, but Trey Young and Atlanta Atlanta proved that they're a pesky out in the playoffs.
1: Well, I think Quinn Snyder, I, I'm telling you, you talk about a team that I'm looking big next year. I, Quinn Snyder, and everyone's saying Spolstra's this great coach. Remember, Spol- Snyder out-coached Spolstra. They won that first play-in game that he won. That's how good a coach Sp- uh, Quinn Snyder is. is, is, is Tremendous, and they stole game five when Trey Young hits a 30-foot shot to win the game when they have Dorante Murray was suspended for the game, which is amazing, they go back game six in Boston, so the draft is on, it's the only thing in town, no one's really watching this game, but it was back and forth, but Tatum scored 30, Brown scored 32, Smart 22, Brogdon 17, and I don't think people are watching Boston, because I keep talking about like, oh, well, it'll be the Lakers or the Warriors or this, I'm like, if you just watch, first of all, Atlanta's a good team, Boston is healthy. Boston's healthy. They were the Finals last year and they have Brown Tatum and Brown, the two best players. So I that's why I think that you know, this next series, I'm going to say I'd be shocked if it's not a sweep. The 76ers look like Harden is old. I don't care. They could have a month off. He's not going to get any younger and Bede is still hurt. He's not going to play. I really think Boston rolls the 76ers and advances to the Eastern
0: Conference Finals. So let's go to the uh, game we got to see yesterday. Not many people would have thought that it was going to be Miami versus New York in the second round here. And this could be an example where maybe Spo did a better job than Tibbs yesterday again
1: what is it with the heat what is is, do they have kryptonite like first of all they're playing the heat is there a rule that you can't call timeouts like the heat are on a run things are happening call timeout they won't call timeouts the heat went on a 25 run no timeouts Timberson didn't, didn't do that but the point is at the beginning of the game they look like they have a great plan okay we're gonna exploit the heat they don't have any size we're gonna go inside Mitchell Robinson was playing great he's scoring Barrett's driving looks fantastic Randall's driving they're taking the ball And the Heat just look outmatched. They don't look they should be. You know it's gonna. You know he were down 11 in the first. They were down five at halftime. They're lucky to be in the game. And then. Kevin Love comes in, starts getting some rebounds out. You know, how about these outlets to Jimmy Butler? It's like, Heat, the Knicks, maybe get back. You know, Butler's not running up the court. He's standing down there, stay back here. Three straight times, they let him get that. But then the Heat are up three points, five minutes to go in the game. You have every celebrity alive. Aaron Rodgers is there. Every, I mean, besides Aaron Rodgers, every person is there at the game. Between the Knicks and the Lakers, you know, gave you these celebrities. He gets hurt. So then he stays in the game. He can't move. He can't run. So it's only lead his three points. He's standing in the corner on offense. They only have four players. They don't have hero. They have no create their own shot. Somehow Lowry hits a shot. It's amazing. Vincent hits a shot. It was amazing. But what do they do on offense? The Knicks do. Butler stands standing there. Clearly can't move. He's walking up the court. They don't even run and attack him. And R.J. Barrett said, "Well, I think that Butler." He said, "I think that Butler could, you know, so his fast hands. Fast hands. He can't move. I did <laughs> understand it. And they and look at the plays. Uh, uh, R.J. Barrett went for a shot that Khaled Martin blocked. R.J. Barrett drew uh, drew." ran into a charge RJ then RJ Barrett The as I said when he played for the Duke and he didn't throw to Zion Williams I said nothing could be worse than that I think I found it he has the ball on <laughs> the top of the key he has it Jalen Brunson, their star player is guarded by Jimmy Butler on the right side. Butler is not moving and he throws the ball to Josh Hart out of bounds instead of throwing to Jalen Brunson who could just drive on him. I, it's simply unbelievable how a team, when you have a player and it's like, you could see Spolster like laughing it's like, what are you guys doing? Like you've not realized Jimmy Butler cannot move on the court, just attack him. It's it's like if you're playing tennis and somebody can't run and you just hit drop shots and win the match. In a game that size, I cannot believe how the Knicks collapse. I absolutely, these fourth quarters of the Heat have won. These last three of them, they're just unbelievable and the other teams are just making you know they have created that and they made shots and they do that but these other teams I don't know what they're thinking and it was just amazing that they did not attack Butler and, and I don't know they played Tuesday he's I don't know if Butler's gonna play or not his ankle looked very very hurt he, but they don't play again until Saturday so maybe the Heat do rest him a day which they did against Boston last year he sat out one of the games and then bring him back and then he'll be at least have a like six days to, for ready to go back on Saturday night Saturday afternoon
0: in Miami. Iran on sports through channel Mike balsamo here as well follow ira everywhere at ira on sports golden state in sacramento let's go over to the west man this series lived up to the hype ira this this was a good one and I'm not even mad at Sacramento I'm just happy at what we got to see on the court what was amazing was Sacramento goes up 2-0 in the series Golden State comes
1: back they win they win the two at home and then they go for game five they go in Sacramento and win that in an amazing 123-116 team that can't win on the road at all they can win Curry 31 Clay 25 Wiggins 20 a huge win and then you're like okay they're gonna go back to Golden State they're gonna win this game six celebration everyone's happy they get blown out at home they lose by 19 points Jordan Poole was Horrendous two for eleven with seven points, and he missed this dunk. That was so bad at the end of the game. Derek Fox was absolutely tremendous for Sacramento. Anyone who doesn't want to stay up till two in the morning and watch him play, just big shot after big shot after big shot. And he had a broken finger, just like Kobe had him when he won a final. So he scored uh 28 uh, 26 points with a broken finger. Monk had 20, 28. So now you force a game seven back in Sacramento. The beam, they have this beam, they shite that is up, the fans are going nuts, everything's tremendous. And what does Jess, what does Steph Curry do? just an iconic 50 point game uh, really nobody else was doing anything Clay Thompson was shooting poorly except uh, Looney with 21 boards but it was just one of those games where Steph Curry if you wanted to watch play after play there was a point one time when Wiggins had the ball and he was holding it and Curry just went to him and stole the ball from his OT mate and just took this shot like every, it's like <laughs> it's gonna go in like everything from three, every time the Sacramento looked like they had a run Curry would hit like a 30 foot shot and a 40 foot shot just played great and this is I'll tell you what this is i <laughs> Steph Curry, someone if Steph Curry had could play like this when they lost to Toronto, he would have that's why I was I was looking for this where I think they could have won that title when Durant was hurt and Clay was hurt. If he would have won that title from Kawhi, that would have been a difference. Because right now he's playing himself into the top ten player in the history of the NBA. And it's just he's just getting better and better and better with age. And that performance on game seven was absolutely tremendous. And on the road against a great young Sacramento team. But I give Sacramento a lot of credit. Look, they went against Wiggins, came back, which no one thought they could do during Green played smart. Looney played great. This is a heart of a champion. Mean, this Warriors team, they've been through the battles, and
0: they play great. Lakers and Grizzlies, and I'm not— a the biggest LeBron fan in the world. I'm not a Laker fan, but I'm a fan of shutting up Dylan Brooks, and I, I think we got that in this series. It's not just
1: Dylan Brooks. It's the entire team. It's John Moran. It's everything. I mean, that's what they come in. The Lakers take the Game 4 lead, 117-111 in overtime, and Morant was terrible. 8 for 24, and LeBron, after he was told he was old, this, that, all the things, he scored 22 points at 20 boards, and Anthony Davis was terrible. But the one thing that LeBron did in this game was he drew, like, I think three charges on John Moran. Like, John Moran was flying through the air, and And LeBron just drew those charges. Just smart basketball. Austin Reeves comes in with 23 points and makes these big shots. And then um, they were like down 102, 100. Reeves tied it up. And then with six left, left, Desmond Bain hits a two. But then LeBron had this driving shot to force it to overtime. And they end up winning in overtime, going up 3-1. Then they go to game five. And clearly, after LeBron played so hard, I think people were expecting them to lose game five in Memphis, they're up 3-2. But this was, of course, a must-win game in the Lakers because they don't want to go Quick turnaround, go back to Memphis. They go back to L.A. Uh, Jack Nicholson was there you know like Jack Nicholson was there every celebrity Larry David Dr. Dre Adele Kyrie Irving and in front of everyone you know Dylan Brooks goes I don't respect someone unless they put 40 against me well how about if you lose by 40 they <laughs> lost by 40 in a must win game John Moran 3 for 16 10 points Brooks had 10 points LeBron was of course tremendous 22 and uh, this is just I mean Memphis I mean Sacramento you look at a team like Sacramento you're like you know you're improving you're this If it was Memphis this was a disaster they talked the trash and then they didn't get interviewed like they wouldn't even be interviewed after the game they all those things and they the people make fun of lebron for lebron doesn't need to shake everyone anyone's hand they can. what the comments they were saying they were disrespectful it was ridiculous and they had deserved to lose by 40. it was absolutely pathetic and this memphis team i think no i mean they just they get in battles with all these other teams in the league this is oklahoma city they get in, they get in battles with everybody and i think people are tired of them talking when they can't back
0: it up ira on sports troll these channel follow ira at ira on sports Phoenix and the LA Clippers, and this is one where, without Kawhi Leonard, you knew this was gonna be a quick series.
1: I didn't know it was going to— Well, I think when I Kawhi, didn't have hope for him. <laughs> okay. I, when the series started, I thought the Clippers were going to win the series. Me too. Because I thought George was probably going to come back by the back end of the series. Kawhi looked like he was playing well. They have, to me, the Clippers with, with Westbrook starting to play well. The best—they have, like, the best, like, nine players. And I felt like that was going to work. But when, when Kawhi went out, I give, them, I give the Clippers credit for staying close. I mean, there wasn't a—one wasn't of the games wasn't a blowout. And then they end up losing 136-130 in Game 5. Five, Booker at 47 points, Durant had 31. And then Lawrence Frank, the president, said, maybe we should relook this load management. It's not working. I mean, they really, I mean, Leonard has played, they have played together 43% of all the games in the four years. I mean, four years ago, you thought, wow, they're gonna just do a mass, you know, the two best players and 20 in the bubble, they lost the second round. Then they and then in 2021, they made it to the finals. But now 2022, they didn't make the playoffs. 2023, they don't make the they make the playoffs, they're so losing the first round, no Kawhi, no George. It's just a mess with them, and then they still have them signed for another two years. So that's the issue about what they're gonna do. I just think the Clippers, you know, Ty Lue's a great coach, and it's just so disappointing. I mean, I know there's not that many Clipper fans, but you thought this team had a lot, all this talent on there, and they just couldn't could work it. But I hope I like what Lauren said, Frank said. It goes, we purposely do load management, and I'm we're the kings of load management. Maybe we shouldn't load management it because <laughs> it's not working.
0: Denver and Minnesota, no one gave Minnesota a shot in this series, and they were right.
1: Well, I'm going to say this about Denver, Minnesota. Denver, Minnesota, what this led to was that Jamal Murray, you saw he's now healthy. And Jamal Murray had 35 points in that game five, and that was tremendous. And that led that leads into to the game we're going to talk about just now is that, that you, we know about Jokic. We know about Aaron Gordon and Michael Porter, Kedemal Pope, but can Jamal Murray be that top two guard and I, he is. Remember, he too last year, two years ago, he tore his ACL. He sat out all last year. This year, he's been inconsistent coming back. You've seen flashes of games, and it's just like all coming together for him now in this playoffs. And that is gonna maybe what's putting him over the edge because they played Phoenix last night and blew them out one twenty. You know, they, they they blew him out, and Jamal Murray thirty four points, nine assists. Joker had twenty four points, but it was this. Booker and Durant cannot do it alone there's no other but they have no one else Paul ate in a little bit but it's like Denver has so many players and Jamal Murray just scoring and controlling it with Joker they look when they play like this unbeatable and so in this series look I think Denver is going to beat Phoenix even though I think it's going to still be a very good series so they, you got Booker and Durant and then the West you have uh, and then the other series is going to be the Lakers Warriors which you cannot I mean that's exactly what the league wanted yes. to have Steph and LeBron and everything so great about that I think the Warriors do win the series because I think I think it's just they're going to run them out of the building. They're just going to run, run, run. They're, they have the younger players that will come on. I think it's going to be great to see Steph and LeBron go at it, but I do think it, it's going to be, but I do think the Warriors will win that.
0: Time to bring in Walter Cherapinski. He's the man behind WalterFootball.com, the most accurate draft source you're going to find anywhere on the internet. Walter, kind of a crazy weekend and, and I'll start with this. Do you industry insiders get kind of mad or kind of upset when you have something like the Houston Texans trading up to draft twice in a row. It kind of throws the whole ebb and flow off everything. Is, is this a burden for you guys?
2: It's always harder for the trades. Um We usually don't do it. Uh, I did at the, you know, like a few hours before the draft. We had one final update. I put uh, Tennessee uh, trading up for Cedars Stroud. Um, I figured some team would. It made a lot of sense because we knew Arizona really wanted to trade down. So I, I thought they would take um, less than they normally would to move down. Just got the wrong team. But, um, you know, we we had Will Anderson, CJ Trout in some order, 2-3. Uh, so it didn't cause too much chaos. But kind of like last year, uh, after the top 10, there were so many trades. It kind of threw everything off. Um, so it, it is it, it is frustrating you're right I mean you, you spend a whole year trying to predict how the draft is gonna go and then a the trade just just uh, throws everything off
0: I thought it was an error on my screen I thought the NFL Network and ESPN got it wrong when I saw Houston's <laughs> on the clock again I was like what um, so we won't talk extensively about quarterbacks but I gotta ask you do you think that the, that the Colts you know after taking um, Anthony Richardson are looking around that Will Levis fell another almost 30 picks and saying, maybe we could have taken a stud here and traded to 15, 20, and gotten gotten the player we wanted anyway?
2: I, I think uh, teams had uh, Richardson rated above Levis from from what we've heard. So I, I don't know if they could have gotten Richardson later. Uh, he, he's just, um, his floor is a lot higher because he runs it at 4-4 like Justin Fields does. So even if he doesn't improve as a passer that much, they can still... Uh, make an offense like Justin Fields runs in Chicago and and be successful that way. Whereas Will Levis had a lot of holes in his game. Like he has the inaccuracy of Anthony Richardson without all the upside. He has upside as a passer, but not not as a rusher like that. Um, and so. Like, I mean, Levis is someone who couldn't beat out Sean Clifford at Penn State, so I, I, I'm not surprised at that. <laughs> no.
1: I, I criticized James Franklin for that decision, but go ahead.
2: <laughs> yeah, yeah, well, it's true, but um, still, it, that is the thing that, that was brought up. But uh, So it wasn't a surprise that he fell to the second round. I actually, I had him falling to the second round. I had him going to Tampa for a while. In my final mock, I had him going, um, I think, 35 uh, to Houston in the second round. So uh, we, we were asking around for teams that liked Will Levis, and we couldn't find anyone. Um, <laughs> it, was, it, it, re, it really reminded me of uh, Malik Willis last year, where you know, you're know you trying to find teams that like Willis, and everyone had Willis the first-round pick, and we just, we just couldn't find anyone. We're like, okay, maybe we put him here, and then we're told no. When we put him here, we told no. So um, it was kind of the same thing with, uh, with Will Levis. So, uh, you know, Tennessee got a good value, but... I, I'm kind of skeptical if he's going to work out. So, I
1: just want to jump in here. But just ahead. a quick question about Levis. is I'm, The one thing is, he goes to Tennessee, and if there's one town in besides, I guess, probably the ones, you know, sit, the pro football team that's in college football country, it's that school. And it's not like he went to Chicago where they, you know, really don't know who Will Levis is. You can sell it. It's like they don't like him. It's like he's already yeah. getting bad press and is in there and he's been drafted. So it's just, it's I think a little added pressure. You saw him sitting in the draft room and then he gets picked to a team and they're saying, wait, we saw him play. You didn't pick Ken Hooker. If you waited this long why didn't you you know why did you pick levis so i think he's gonna he's you know he's already you know marching uphill already
2: yeah it's, i mean he's yeah he's gonna have a short lease tennessee's not gonna have a good roster and there are gonna be two uh blue trip quarterbacks available uh in next year's draft i actually uh, just updated my 2024 nfl walk draft and i have tennessee taking drake may so he's, he's only gonna have one year it, like if he plays well obviously they're not going to have a top 2 pick because they're going to win games but i I'm, I'm like i said i'm pretty skeptical if he's going to work out um, and I, I think the titans might just go with another quarterback kind of like the, the cardinals did when they tra- drafted Josh Rosen and then they drafted Kyler Murray the next year
0: so speaking about you know teams having a lot of holes uh, maybe this is selfish of me walter but My my fantasy keeper league, I've got Tyler Algier and um, Kenneth Walker. And then I see, you know, Bijan Robinson goes to the Falcons early. And then, you know, in the second round, Seattle takes Charbonneau. And I'm looking at this. If you're the Falcons, you have holes everywhere on this roster. How does a running back help you? This is a luxury draft pick. So I didn't understand that. And the same thing with Seattle. I mean, they don't nearly have as many holes, but is a running back a pressing need for you guys? There's a lot of other players you could pick up in the second round that can help you win a Super Bowl now.
2: Yeah, I, I didn't really understand um, the, the Seattle uh, running back pick. Kenneth Walker was so good last year. It's not like he was a boss. In uh, and, and, and that case, you can understand it. Uh, so uh, Seattle is a team that had so many needs uh, so I, I, I was pretty shocked that they made that pick. Uh, the, the one, the one running back pick I liked was Detroit taking Jameer Gibbs. Uh, they, they viewed him as the Jamal Charles, uh, Alvin Kamara type runner, uh, and some teams had him as a top five prospect in this class. Uh, the Jets were going to take him at number fifteen if uh, if he got there. So it, it wasn't a re- as much of a reach as people think. And I, I view the Lions. They call me crazy, but I view the Lions as Super Bowl contender. Um, next year. So I, I think that a, a team that has Super Bowl aspirations can draft a running back in the first round, and Gibbs is going to be an explosive player for them.
1: Ira, what do you have for Rob Walt? Everybody's giving the Eagles a lot of kudos. They're calling them the Philadelphia Bulldogs because they, <laughs> their entire defense is now going to be It seems like uh, Georgia Bulldogs. What do you think about their draft in terms of how Carter and Smith fell to them uh, in the first round?
2: I, I, I was shocked that, uh, like everyone else, that Nolan Smith fell to them at 30. If, if they drafted Nolan Smith at 10, I don't think anyone would have batted That That's actually what we had in our mock draft was Nolan Smith. Um, Charlie Campbell reported that they were planning on um, trading up for Jalen Carter if he got past Seattle at number five, which, which happened. And they got, they got arguably the best defensive player in the draft, maybe Will Anderson, but um, a top-two defensive player at number nine so they they just they just obtained two studs in the first round uh, to add to their defensive line, which had the most sacks uh, in the NFL last year, so they're going to be even better rushing the quarterback and then They got Tyler Steen uh, on the second day. He's going to be a rock-solid guard for them, a replacement for Isaac Solmala, who went to to the Steelers. Uh, And uh, Sidney Brown's a solid safety. And then in the fourth round, they got Kaylee Ringo, who I I thought was a steal. I thought he would go in the second round. So I I graded the Eagles as an A+. That was the only A-plus they gave out.
1: And I'm... I was ecstatic with the Steeler draft. I love Broderick Jones, their left tackle. I think they desperately needed that for protection for Kenny Pickett. And then when Joey Porter fell into the second round, be able to pick him up. Uh, then even Benton, the the defensive tackle from Wisconsin, and then to get Darnell Washington. I've seen six Georgia games this year in person. He is like it's like if LeBron James decided to put a uniform on and go on the field. That's what he looks like. He's he's amazing for at tight end. So I was ecstatic with the Steelers draft.
2: Yeah, they, they did extremely well. I, I gave him an A. Uh, Project Jones, has he has uh, a lower four than some of the other tackles in the first round, but he has high upside, too. And I think having him on the team is going to be instrumental to Kenny Pickett's development. Just having uh, protection on the blind side like that. Um, if he if he develops like the Steelers thinks he will, Kenny Pickett's going to have a great chance to succeed. Uh, Joey Porter Jr. I, I thought the Steelers going to take him at number 17, so getting him at 32 was an absolute steal. And Darnell Washington is someone who fell because uh, team, some teams flunked him medically, so that 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 fall wasn't as much of a surprise. But if you're talking late third round for that sort of talent, uh, I don't think you can go wrong really. I mean, there's not much of a risk at that point, and you know if if he lives up to his potential and stays healthy. Uh, he's going to be a great weapon to hit.
1: So getting on to the quarterbacks, we talked about Will Levis in Tennessee, but I mean, there's just like one quarterback, Stetson Bennett, falling again to the Rams, not falling, but being ch- chosen by the Rams in the fourth round. He has a nine and one record against the first round quarterbacks, including Levis. Uh, of course, everyone's seen Bennett play. But it seems like with Matthew Stafford's injury history, that Stetson Bennett might be the quarterback for the Rams next year. What others? I mean, we have Hayner from President State went to the Saints, Aiden O'Connell to the Raiders, Clayton Toon, even at Arizona, like maybe have a chance because Kyler Murray won't be healthy to start the season. Which of these quarterbacks did you saw get drafted? Might You might see in the first couple of weeks of the season.
2: Well, uh, I... I I, the, the first thing you brought up um Stephen Bennett I was um a pretty big fan of his uh, obviously I mean everyone was on the collegiate level but there was concern about his height and I think that's the only issue um, I think people underrate his arm his, his arm strength is actually like pretty decent it was measured uh, at the combine and he was up there with some of the better quarterbacks throwing the ball uh, obviously he can scramble around pretty bit like pretty well and you know he's a winner uh, so I, 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 lo- I love, his intangibles, his, his leadership, uh, everything about him, just height's a problem, but you're talking about a quarterback who's gone to play for Sean McVay. Who has done a great job developing quarterbacks? Uh, Jared Goff was completely lost as a rookie. Then they got there and turned him into uh, a, a quarterback who led the team to a Super Bowl. Um, and then you saw Baker Mayfield go there. Baker Mayfield looked horrible for the Panthers to start of the year, and then suddenly he goes off. A, he comes off a plane and he's playing well for the Rams to start. Uh, so, it, so I, I, I love the opportunity that Bennett has, and as you said, Stafford has the elbow injury. Um, so we don't know if he's going to be 100%. Uh, I imagine he's going to be ready for the regular season, but who knows? I mean, he's someone who's gotten injured a lot over the years. The Rams' offensive line's not any good, so he could go down again. And then uh, who knows? Maybe you're looking at, at another uh, Brock Purdy situation when Bennett takes the field.
1: Um, what you said, you rate, you gave a A-plus a to Eagles. So I got the Steelers happy with an A. Any other A's out there? And who got your worst grades for the draft?
2: yeah there were actually um several a's uh, I, I, maybe I agree I on a carve a little bit, but i I think Arizona uh, did really well. I, I love that they moved down from three to twelve. they they got a first round pick uh, in in exchange for that. i i I thought they would take less because they were so desperate to move down. And i I didn't imagine that they would get a first round pick. i no, i I't't didn't, I didn't know if they they'd go all the way to twelve, but still they got a first round pick next year. Uh, from a Houston team that's not going to be very good. And next year's draft looks great. So they could have potentially two top eight picks next year, which is amazing for them. And then they moved up a little bit. They, they gave up a resource, but they didn't give up their first round pick. They moved up to six to get Paris Johnson. Uh, it's it's going to be really essential for Kyler Murray just because uh, Murray uh, is so injury-prone. He hasn't played a full season yet in his career. Um, and plus he lobbied for Paris Johnson. So I, I think having Paris Johnson there. Um, is is going to be essential for Murray, and they also drafted DJ Ojolari, who's uh, a good pass rusher. Um, I, I thought the team that did the worst was Dallas. So when when Dallas <laughs> oh, made his <the> pick, boy. <laughs> when Dallas made his pick, I saw Smith on the screen, and I said, "Oh wow, they got Nolan Smith. That's great." Uh, and, and then it turned out to be Mozzie Smith, not Nolan Smith. I'm like, "Well, I mean, they passed on the superior prospect, and they drafted a." A run stop run stopping defensive tackle in the first round. So like I, I like Monty Smith, but I, I From like Michigan. Him
1: he's a defensive tackle from Michigan for our listeners. Go ahead.
2: Yeah, yeah. So I, I like them more in the second round. Um, not so much in the first round, especially with players like Nolan Smith and, and uh Dalton Kincaid available. I th- I thought that was um I, I thought that was a bad pick. And and they let Nolan Smith get to the get to the Eagles, which is gonna really hurt them in, in the long run. So I, I thought the Cowboys did very poorly. Um I thought I thought the Jaguars uh, didn't do uh, very well either. Um, I, I thought that the, the, their their two second day picks uh, I thought were pretty bad. Um, uh, drafting a tight end when they already had Evan Ingram, and then drafting a running back when they already had uh, Travis Etienne. Uh, I, 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 I I didn't mind the first round pick, um, but I thought they really squandered an opportunity on day two to really improve their defense, and they didn't touch their defense until the, the day three which is, like, if you saw the Jaguars last year, they, they were great offensively late in the year. They just couldn't stop anyone. And now they had a chance to get good defensive players, and, and they didn't. So their defense is still going to struggle.
1: From a Miami perspective, the, you know, they lost their first-round pick for the tampering, so they had a, a limited draft. But uh, Devon Achain from Texas A&M had running back. They seem to have a lot of running backs, that I guess is, and they, they wouldn't draft him unless they think he was going to be maybe the best of the, of the group.
2: Yeah, I mean Devin A. Chain is, is someone who's um is, is gonna be a great pass catcher out of the backfield. I, I, I wasn't crazy about that pick because they already had uh, two solid running backs and most are in Jeff Wilson Junior. But um A chain is, is someone who, who could potentially uh win the job eventually. Uh it's not like Wilson and Moster are great players by any means. They're they're both just solid. So, um I mean, I just didn't like that pick overall because the Dolphins had so many—they so few limited resources. They had four picks, I believe. So I thought they had to make a bigger impact. I thought they should have drafted an offensive lineman to keep Tugamailoa healthy.
1: And they're talking about offensive linemen. Everyone's been mentioning about the Jets, and I was happy when the Steelers moved up because they some you know, the thought was that they moved up. Got Broderick Jones, the uh, left tackle from Georgia. They jumped over the Jets, and you know the Jets end up picking a linebacker. And they're like, wow, the Jets really need help on their offensive line. They didn't get one. People were waiting. Those things. Um, what, from the perspective of the Jets, I mean, did they sort of get to the Steelers? Just, you know, do they... <laughs> Yeah, that was awesome, I think.
2: Yeah, the Jets really uh, were in a bind when they were on the clock because uh, th- their top four realistic prospects uh, at, at 16 were um, were um, uh, uh, Peter Skaronsky, um, uh, the, the Darnell Wright, uh, Project Jones, and Jameer Gibbs. And I don't know if they had Gibbs over Jones. I know they had Wright and Skaronsky one and two. Uh, I'm not sure about Gibbs and Jones, but... They liked all four players and all four players were taken between 10 and 14. So you kind of have to feel bad for them. And I, I don't know if you noticed what the Jets did when they were on the clock at 15. They used all their time. I, I think they were trying desperately to call out because all four prospects they liked were gone. And so they had, they had to settle on Will McDonald. And I, I you know, I, I like Will, Will McDonald a little bit uh, and Adam in the second round. I thought that was a reach. Um, I think he's going to be a good pass rusher uh, in certain situations. He's just undersized. So, um, there's some concern there. So uh, kind of, kind of feel bad for the Jets. Uh, but I, I guess they kind of asked for it because they moved down from 13 to 15 in the Aaron Rodgers trade. And, you know, when, the, when that trade is made, you're like, okay, 13 to 15, not a big deal, but it eventually, it, it actually ended up costing them the players they like.
1: That was totally 100%. You know, it seems like from the wide receiver position it talked about people were like, oh, you can't run the first year that the wide receivers you know, don't really make an impact. And we have Justin Jefferson, Jamar Chase, which of the wide receivers, a lot of them like Jackson Smith, Jing, but you know, they came in as maybe like a second or third wide receiver, even though they're a high draft pick, which of the wide receiver class do you think is going to just have a breakout season and went not just that the best wide receiver, but they went to the best situation?
2: I think long-term, Jackson Smith and Jigbo looks great for Seattle. Uh, The problem is this year he's going to be the third receiver uh, in Seattle. So I I think if either Metcalf or Lockett goes down, he's going to be uh, great. Uh, Same thing with Quentin Johnson. Uh, The Chargers have Keenan Allen and Mike Williams. Now, they have uh, an extensive injury history, both of them. Both of them, yes, yes, Right, (laughs) right. So you'd imagine that one of them would get hurt, and if so, Quentin Johnson could have a great year with Justin Herbert throwing him the football. Uh, Jordan Addison, I think, would slot in right away as the number two to replace uh, Adam Thielen. In Minnesota, Uh, yeah, uh, and then Zay Flowers, who was drafted by Baltimore at, at 22. I, I think he has the best chance to make an impact right away. He doesn't have much in front of him. There's Odell Beckham, but he's coming off a torn ACL. Uh, there's Rashad Bateman, but he's just the possession receiver. Zay Flowers can be a, a Steve Smith type of player, and um, – I, I think he's he, he's just so explosive. He can go the distance anytime he touches the ball. I, I know that the the Ravens run more of a, a, run, a running um, system there, but I think that say Flowers just just being a, a weapon to could go over the top for Lamar Jackson, I think it would be huge next year. So if. If there are no injuries at the other uh, positions, I would say Zay Flowers uh, is the best right now. But, uh, you know, you, like I said, you can't count on uh, Mike Williams, you know, and staying healthy. So it might end up, it might end up being uh, Clinton Johnson. But I like I like Jackson Smith and Jigger for the long term.
1: And I'm intrigued. And whenever Kansas City, the Super Bowl champions, picks a wide receiver in the second round, Rasheed Rice, like what about him? Like most people haven't seen SMU play. What do you think about him in terms of being at Kansas City?
2: I was a little surprised that, uh, that they um, – they, they drafted Rasheed Rice over someone like Jalen Hyatt or Cedric Tillman. I thought they were better, uh, better prospects. Um, the Chiefs haven't had much success drafting receivers, uh, recently. They, they drafted Nicole Harbin in the second round. He, he didn't end up uh, being anything. Uh, then they drafted Sky Moore last year. He didn't do much in his rookie year. Uh, so I, I, Rishi Rice projects, I think, as a, you know, the number two receiver in the NFL, like a possession receiver. So, I'm not. Uh, I wasn't a big fan uh, of that pick. I, I would have loved to have seen them draft Jalen Hyatt. So, um, uh, yeah, I wasn't. I wasn't a big fan, but you can't ignore any receiver playing the basketball.
1: <laughs> <laughs> mm-hmm. and we're talking to Walter Chervinsky of the Walter Draft Report. Definitely get on it. And as he said, he has an update for next year and Cal Williams. And he just made a great point about Arizona putting them themselves in position with Houston's draft pick to perhaps get. You know, they might. You know, not, you know, get rid of Kyler Murray and bring Kyle Williams in or Dre, you know, next year if they have the, the first pick in the draft. So definitely get on Walter.com and Walter Draft Report and get that. And uh, just give me another, uh, another selection, a couple other selections that you felt like, wow, this team in later rounds did a, it, it was I can't believe they had fell and it's, they're going to be a great player for them next year.
2: Uh, so I actually talked about this guy uh, the last time I was on the show, Jair Brown, the safety from Penn State um i so I, I had him going in the fourth round uh, i think actually may have moved into the third round at the end but i i had him in that range so uh, i really love him as a prospect he, he's so instinctive as a safety he's in the right place at the right time uh and as a result he's able to make lots of uh lots of big plays defensively lots of turnovers uh and i i was i was happy to see the niners move up for him at the end of the third round, uh, the Niners—they they really have a knack for drafting uh, safeties, uh, and I, I was—I was pretty happy to see that. So, um, especially in that defense, when you have Nick Bosa rushing the passer, uh, he's going to be able to have a lot of opportunities for turnovers. So, um, I, I thought that was—I uh, I thought that was a great pick for the Niners in the end of the third round.
1: I just want to give the right website it's walterfootball.com definitely go on there and it's just tremendous and as I said I use your site during the year because I'm watching a game say I'm seeing you know UCLA versus Oregon or something like that and I want to I want to I want to see who the the players I should be watching for the pros just besides watching an enjoyable game so I think that's what I what I like is your you know I just don't have to wait till the season's over to look report I'm looking right now and you list the players I love it it helps me you know it gives me more enjoyment watching the game so thanks a lot Walter for coming on high sports i really appreciate it
2: yeah i appreciate uh i appreciate you guys having me on um I, i'm glad uh, you guys enjoyed the draft it was uh, it was a fun weekend and uh yeah i'm looking forward to next year already
0: let's bring in patrick Denine right now he's a former standout umass amherst college hockey player and if that last name sounds familiar to you to you Denine, that's because his cousin was the coach of the florida panthers kevin Denine, for a couple of years here in south florida pat we'll get right to the point so we saw the best regular season team of all time lose last night to the eight seed, our hometown, Florida Panthers. What happened here and, and the the curse of the president's trophy is a real thing, apparently.
3: Well, it's certainly a real thing. The president's trophy winner has not won uh, the Stanley Cup since the Blackhawks about a decade ago, right? And uh, you know, there's a trend here, and you know many of us that looked at this series actually called this. if you look at One thing, most important thing that you need to win in the playoffs, if you have a team that has experienced adversity and knows how to deal with adversity, then you will have the upper hand on another team. And now look at the Boston Bruins, set the NHL record for most points in the regular season. What adversity did they face during the year? Nearly nothing, right? Everything went smooth for them. Yeah, they had injuries here and there, but they skated through the season unscathed. They face no adversity. And then you bring in new players, and the first time they're facing adversity is during the playoff series. And that's not when you want to face adversity because then everyone looks around and says, who's going to take charge? How do we deal with this? How have you dealt with this in the past? And then you're playing a Florida Panther team who got into the playoffs on the last game of the regular season. They clawed their way in, no pun intended, but they (laughs) faced adversity. They faced adversity in the media. They faced adversity within. They had coaching changes the last couple of years. They've had a really skilled team. And look what they experienced one year earlier. President's Trophy, playoff exit. So they've been through this, right? And, and that adversity is so important, that grit, that metal. And the Florida Panthers have that now.
0: I, I totally agree with you. And you could look at this series. There were points where you're looking at the Florida Panthers like this seems done. Boston's such a better team. But once the the script flipped, Boston looked like a shell of itself. And that's what we saw uh, throughout the latter part of the series as the Panthers did eventually go on to win. So, Pat, I, I, I'm probably in the minority here. But to me... The Colorado losing to Seattle is a bigger deal than Boston losing to to Florida. The president's trophy is a real thing. They you know, it's uh, it's a long, long rumored stat, you know, that you can't make it to the Stanley Cup uh, after winning that. But Colorado was in the Stanley Cup last year. This is the reigning champs. And they lost to a relatively ragtag bunch of misfits in Seattle. And I just to me, this is a bigger shock. What happened to Colorado?
3: Well, you might be in the minority. People are calling the Florida upset the biggest in the history of the NHL, <laughs> and 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 I and I have to agree with that. They had the most points, and and Boston had the chance to eliminate Florida more than once, and they and they failed, and that's why they're calling it the biggest upset in the history. But hey, one man's upset is another man's celebration, and, and you know a lot of us are extremely happy that the Panthers are moving on. Um, but with Colorado. Listen, it's extremely difficult to repeat. You have a team that went deep into the playoffs, won it all last year, and that takes a toll on you. It takes a toll on the team. It takes a toll on you physically, mentally. They have a shorter offseason, and then you're asking them to come back. They were not in the playoff picture, if you recall, during the regular season, and then at the end they turned it on and wound up battling for first place in their division, so it took a while to get out of that slump a little bit Um, and they have a, a new goalie to the team they're missing their captain the entire season, including the playoffs, and those are holes that are extremely difficult or impossible to fill no matter who you're playing but then if you look at Seattle they have players with grit, they have players that have been through it, Schwartz Look at Gore, Donnie Gore from from your friend, Tampa Bay Lightning. That guy has grit, has tenacity, and if he's not a vocal leader in the locker room, he's easily a lead by example player. Any team, any player that team is on, they're not scared of anybody, right? You've got players put together; they're not scared of anybody. They could go against the defending champs. They won three out of four games in Colorado, which is astounding.
0: Still shocking to me. That, that, that baffled me completely. I, I thought the Panthers had a good shot, but I did not think the Kraken did. you have anything for Patrick?
1: Um,
0: no, just generally in
1: terms of what do you think is the difference in terms of this playoff hockey versus the regular season, and what again? It's just like is it, it, it we see in the NBA too? Now it's filtered in the fact that these uh, Heat and the Lakers won with uh, with the lower seeds.
3: Yep. And listen, you know, I I never made it to the NHL. I have a lot of friends that did and that are still there. And what they echo is it's a long season. The regular season's long, and you're not bringing that 100% intensity every single night. It's almost impossible. But once the playoffs start, there's no guarantee for tomorrow. And it's a tournament, right? The players now call it a tournament because of the seeding. And, you, you know, and, and it's almost like that NCAA tournament, the March Madness. And that intensity is is picked up immensely because that's what you play all year for. And it doesn't matter if you, you set a record for most wins or you just get into the playoffs. It's anybody's game. And the players that haven't been there, they want the experience. The players that have been there have the experience. And it's the hardest trophy in sports to win you're you're putting your 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 body, your bones, your your blood, sweat, tears on the line, and it is the most intense and beautiful thing to watch on television. And it's just a viewership dream come playoff time because of how players really turn it up at this time of year.
1: And we and we talk about. Um, home court advantage, home ice advantage. It doesn't appear like there's this home ice advantage. I'm not saying that hockey fans i have been in these arenas for the playoffs. They are loud. They're louder than basketball arenas. They're louder than football teams. But it doesn't seem like the loud fans. It just translates to victory for the home teams.
3: (laughs) Yeah, this is the underdog, uh, the year of the underdog, the year of the lower seed. The home ice advantage isn't real, it seems, in this playoffs. And that just goes to show you there's there's parity from one through eight, these players can just block out the noise. And we used to say, keep it between the glass. And that's a mental thing. Keep your mentality between the glass where you don't get swayed by what's going on in the crowd, the music, the bands playing, the loud noises. (laughs) And if if you learn to keep that in the glass, and these guys are the ultimate consummate professionals, and and a lot of them are seasoned vets who've been through this. You keep it between the glass and and you're you're destined for for, you know, good things to happen. And plus, listen, you're home, you want to impress your home crowd, you want to do well, that's added pressure. And at this time of year, they already have a lot of pressure on their plate.
0: I was actually thinking last night home home ice could be a bad thing cuz the goalie in a screen at home the crowd starts making noise when a shot's coming. The You know, the uh, away goalie knows something's coming, whereas when you're home, they're quiet, and you may not know if something's coming through a screen. Um, Pat, we'll wrap it up with this. So there's still one series left. We've got the Rangers and the Devils playing right now, but if you're looking at the team's remaining, who's your Stanley Cup uh, matchup?
3: You know, I would love to see the best player win. I would love to see Edmonton go the distance. Um, big fan of Connor McDavid, Leon Dreisaitl. I mean, that would be great for young kids watching the sport, seeing the best player, you know, raise the cup. Being in a New Yorker, if the Rangers do pull us out in Game 7, uh, you know, it's wide open. Like you said, the President's Trophy winner is out. The defending cup champ is out. The defending last year's Eastern Conference champ, Tampa, is out. Uh, it would be great for the country of Canada where I played my junior a hockey if Toronto, Edmonton went the distance. Um, but you look for that grit, I'm, I'm betting on Edmonton.
0: Pat Deneen from UMass Amherst Hockey, thank you so much for popping on Iron Sports.
3: Thank you, an absolute pleasure.
0: This is Iron Sports, time to bring in a good friend of the show, Gary Stevens, three-time Kentucky Derby champion. Gary, we'll get right to the point. Me as a gambler... I'm not a big fan of when there's an overwhelming favorite in races like this. Forte is going to command a lot of money. Everyone's looking at him to uh, potentially be a triple crown champion. Do you, as a you know a, a pro and also from the gambling aspect, are you a fan or not a fan of when there is just a massive favorite in the field?
4: I don't know if he's going to be a massive fa- favorite. I, th- I think he deserves to be a favorite, um, but I-, I think there's options. Um, practical moves, you know. Winner of the Santa Anita Derby, he's he's going to get plenty of action for Tim Yachtim. Um Angel uh, Angel of the Empire won the Arkansas Derby. Brad Cox, he's going to get played, and I, I think an interesting horse is this. Uh, I'm probably going to butcher this name, but the Japanese horse uh, Derma Tordogaki. Um
0: I can't pronounce it wait.
4: either. As close as you're going to get for me. But uh, man, he was powerful in the UAE Derby. I know it was just the UAE Derby, but um, I think he's going to get. I think he's going to get some action too. And then Mage, the, the horse that uh, was second to um, Forte in the Florida Derby, he's kind of the wise guy horse um, right now, and I expect him to improve. But the question is, how much is Forte going to improve off? Of, you know up his victory in the Florida Derby. I, I don't think that they necessarily had him fully cranked. I think
1: he probably is now. Ira, what do you have for Gary? Well, Gary, thanks a lot for coming on Ira Sports. I appreciate it. From 2018, the favorites won, including American Pharaoh and Justify. But the last four years, the favorites have lost, in the, in the, but finished in the top four. You've rode Point Given uh, as a favorite going into the Derby. What's the, In terms of the pressure, when you're thinking, you're like, okay, I have the best horse, I feel I have the best horse, what, do you, what, what goes in your mind and sort of how you're going to approach this race?
4: Well, a lot of it depends on how they get through the post race, first of all. <clears throat> Excuse me. Uh, 170,000 screaming people. Um, you know, circus light, atmosphere. And, and that's the key thing. But Forte's been through it. Um, You know, he won the Breeders' Cup last year, and and, uh, coming off, of, uh, he's undefeated this year, and uh, he's kind of been tested. Uh, But nothing duplicates the, you can come close to duplicating, And, and Todd said that one reason that he chose to keep him in Florida for the Florida Derby is because of the paddock area there. It, it can be very claustrophobic uh, on a lot of horses, and, and he handled that with flying colors. So, um, you know, one of the most disappointing things I ever had, uh, Johannesburg was favored in the derby I was on him, and uh, he, uh, he was giving me all the wrong signals going to the starting gate. And game. And actually, I'm looking at the blinking light on the tote board, and I'm like, uh-oh. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, that 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 can be a long mile and a quarter when when you sort of got an idea going going to the gate that uh, the stars stars aren't aligning for you, right?
1: So the race has been we've been running <laughs> the races. It seems like forever. Um, but how has the ch- the race changed over the years? What do you see in terms of since you've been riding and you've been, you've been retired? But what have, what changes have you seen in terms of people keep saying, well, well, fifty years ago this happened. What what has changed, I guess, in in the last you know few years?
4: Well. Since they started uh, racing 20 horses, you know, um, it's congested. You've got to get lucky, get a good break, got to have a horse that'll fit the trip. Um, you know, with point given, um, he got away just okay. I tapped him on the shoulder and he was off to the races with me, basically was running off with me the early part of the race and um, used, basically used all of his energy up early on. I was trying to slow him down. He didn't want anything to do with it. Um, you know, so just little things like that. It's, you know, that whole gate. Um, and I, I like it better now that they've got the single gate. They don't have the auxiliary gate. Um, you know, that the gate has 20 horses. So um, I think that's better. Um, what they had it the last five years, I think. And um, that's an improvement. But listen, the Derby it, it gets bigger and bigger and bigger every year. You think you can't get any bigger? They put in a new uh, grandstand down on the clubhouse, and uh, you know that's a big addition. So it's more like a amphitheater type of uh, uh, atmosphere.
1: So one thing about racing that's unusual is that unlike you don't see like Jalen Hurts is not out on a field before the Super Bowl playing football, you know, getting used to the field. He might be practicing, but you're actually as a jockey riding in races previous to the Derby. What do you learn? What do you pick up in those races? And, and how many would you like? How many do you try to like ride before you actually ride the Derby?
4: I've, I've come in and wrote eight or nine on the card of the Derby. Um, towards the end of my career, I only wanted I didn't want to ride any more than five. To be honest with you um, it doesn't hurt to go out there and 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 I was you know a lot more energetic when I was younger <laughs> and I want I wanted to write as many as I could and uh, you know it's a, you get in there early in the morning and uh, it's it's kind of hectic um, just sign people sending in posters uh, stacks and stacks of posters all day long um, and it uh, I won't say it gets old, but when it starts to be focused time, um, it, it gets really quiet in there. The, <clears throat> all the jocks are, you know, talking. it's noisy, uh, joking with each other. Um, but the closer it gets, the quieter, quieter it starts getting uh, when you get close to game time.
1: And how much extra work do you put in in terms of like you're riding, you said sometimes eight or nine races. Um, you do this, I <laughs> think how many races you ride, but for this derby race, the pre-preparation, the thinking about it, how much extra time do you put in talking to the trainers and the owners to get ready for the race?
4: Look, I, I, I mean, I think all of, <clears throat> all of that's probably been handled already. It's going to be small talk out in the paddock for most of these riders. Uh, Sometimes you get some last-minute uh, suggestions or whatever, but, you know, you know who your competition is. Uh, you know what the running styles are. Uh, basically, every horse in the race, and you've got an idea where you're going to be early on um, according to what your horse's running style is. But, and, again, the derby's the derby. Uh, going the, the first time around, uh, coming through the stretch, everybody jockeys for position. Going into the first turn, you want to save ground. You don't want to get hung wide, um, but with 20 horses, not everybody's going to get in safe ground.
1: <laughs> and can you tell, like you just mentioned, you said that about the Johannesburg, you can sort of tell if your horse is ready for the race, and can you also tell if some of your competitors look at the other horses and say, wow, they don't look like they're ready for this race?
4: Yeah, I mean, you'll see horses that are getting upset, <clears throat> excuse me, um, start sweating and, and uh, washing out, and you can tell, you can see the ones that are, are, you know, not reacting in, in a good way. But at the end of the day, you're worried about your own horse and your own trip.
1: And what do you do as a jockey in terms of, you talked about the crowd, the hundreds of thousands of fans that are there. That's the largest crowd in, in all of, of racing by far. What do you do to calm your horse down? Make sure your horse is not you know, affected by these gigantic crowds? Because sometimes they, you mentioned Forte Rush you know, has run in big crowds, but some of these other horses have not been in front of those huge crowds. Now,
4: uh, like the three derbies I won, uh, Winning Colors, Thunder Gulch, and Silver Charm, they... They warmed up like superstars, man. I, I mean, <laughs> I, I I felt so confident in all three of them uh, that day, and even point given. You know, he got a little bit hot with him, but that was him. Um, you know, and things didn't turn out for him that day, period. But um, I think especially um, Thunder Gulch in 95, when, when we were walking into the gate, it was like he swelled up three sizes um, and just gave me that feeling. Uh, I didn't have to give him the feeling. He was already there. So,
1: well, without getting the post position set, is there, who are you thinking about? What are you thinking about for this race in terms of which horse do you – again, you're saying without the post positions and those things, who, was your, who is your, I would say, favorite, but someone who you really think has a good chance to win this?
4: Well, I, I think that, uh, um of course, I just said it, the horse of, uh, Tim, that team that won the, uh, said I need a derby. Practical move. Um, tra- practical move. I love his running style. Um, he doesn't need the lead. Um, I guess the biggest thing for him is this, well, it's all, none of these horses have seen 20 or 19 other competitors, um, running against him. Uh, most of these derby preps have been pretty full field. Um, and then Forte, you know, he just keeps winning. He's a winner. And he comes, you know, he comes from off the pace, but he comes with that big run every time, and he can afford to give up some ground. Of course, like him, you know, just keep him out of trouble would be my, you know, keeping him out of trouble the best that you can and hope, hope for the best trip you
1: can get. And one last question. We're talking to Gary Stevens, Hall of Fame jockey, winner of nine Triple Crown races. One of our callers after last time we had it, we had you on the show said they wanted to ask you about Keeneland. They love the Keeneland track, and I know you've had you did Seabiscuit, you were filming scenes there, you've raced there a million times. What makes Keeneland so popular? I know this is we're not at Churchill Downs, but it's very close. What makes Keeneland this uh, great horse, great race? And I guess their crowds are amazing. This recently, they said that they you know that's been selling out constantly.
4: Yeah. Um I think that the big thing is with with all the purse money that they're giving away now in in the state of Kentucky and everything, the uh, prize money just keeps growing and growing. But uh, Keeneland's a, a small boutique boutique meeting both the, the one in the spring and and in the fall as well, and um, the crowds are, are just phenomenal. I mean, sold out pretty much every day. Uh, just great atmosphere. It's a beautiful racetrack with all the rolling fields around and all the farms, um, breeding farms, and, and everything. It's just, um, you know, it's like the racehorse capital of the world.
1: <laughs> well, Gary, I know you're driving from Arkansas to Kentucky. Thanks so much for taking the time off, time out to come on Iron Sports. I appreciate it.
4: All right, guys. Good luck to you.
1: I hope you better
0: winner. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. Ira on Sports, True these channel, I'm Mike Balsamo. You can follow Ira, of course, at Ira on Sports. Ira, what's going on in Formula One?
1: Well, we're so excited because we got Formula 1 in Miami. I'm going to be there on Friday and on Sunday. Saturday, of the Heat game. They just raced. It's amazing. They were in Azerbaijan and raced there. <laughs> and if, you want, if you're if you going to... No no betting on this because it, clearly the Red Bull was going to win because Sergio Perez and Max Verstappen, the two Red Bull drivers, they, there's been four races. Each one has won two of the races. They're dominating. They're so far ahead of the rest of the field. And in this race, Sergio Perez won. And uh, really because they just pitted. There was an accident. Verstappen pitted because when he pitted, the, it was was a way that Perez was able to pass him. But if we're going to see if there's any some friction because Verstappen is like the two-time defending champion. Perez is like, I think I can win this year, so I'm not I'm going to try to win. So that'll be exciting for that. But Ferrari uh, with Leclerc and Seitz is its other top team. And then Aston Martin with Alonso and Stroll. And then Hamilton and Russell with Mercedes. So you really have... The Red Bull team is one at one tier and the Ferrari, Aston Martin, and Mercedes are the other tier. But I'm pumped to have it in Miami. I had a great time last year. Can't wait to have it again. Uh,
0: let's wrap it up with Tony Finau. Very likable, getting a big win. John Rahm has officially passed uh, Scotty Scheffler for the most uh, lucrative PGA Tour season ever but maybe the story is, you know, alumni of this show, Taylor Gooch winning two back to back live events.
1: Yeah, Taylor Gooch was great. He beat Sergio Garcia in a playoff and Brooks Kepka. And, you know, that was so, it, again, it was that they played in Singapore with live and they got good crowds there too. So they've now had the at Adelaide, which is in Australia. And now at Singapore. Live is going to come back to the United States soon, but they've, they've sort of on a, a momentum in terms of having on these foreign uh, events. And John Rahm is just right now the number one player in the world. Even when he finishes second, I mean, he's like, this is now at a Tiger level where in the 10 tournaments this year he's had four first one second and one third so even when he loses it's like there's still 120 some uh, 30 players in the field and he's still second so it's, it's just amazing and he's won you know he's won the Genesis won the Masters uh, it's just uh, what, a, what a year for him so far and, and you've you got to think wow how many more you know you don't want to say Grand Slam, but if there's a, you know, he is, he is playing at Tiger level right now, John Ramos. So we'll see what happens. But, uh, but also with the live with Tyler Gooch and, and hopefully again, we get the, the lib. it's fun with these
0: majors because you get them, the golfers, they come back together, they play against each other. So I love the fact that we got three more majors. It makes great for the spectators. I'll, yes. I'll put it like that. Ira, we got to wrap it up. You had a busy week though. Oh,
1: huge. Uh, uh, Nick game tomorrow, the Nick heat again on Saturday, Formula One,
0: Friday and Sunday. So very busy. We are out of time. Thanks so much to our guest. He's Ira. I'm Mike. Let's talk next Monday night, Iran Sports.